This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. We're coming at you. I got to tell you, the. Uh, you know, the, the thing that overstays its welcome the most is rainy weather. We had needed this uh, this deluge and downpour, quite uh, quite a serious drought here in Georgia. But at this point, you know, three or four days in a row, and I'm ready for the sun and, and the beach, and, and uh, I'm ready for the drought to come back, actually. But uh, you guys are tuning in to uh, a special show today. We've got uh, several guests calling in that uh, I think are going to be of uh, certain interest to everybody. Um, the economist Steve Moore is scheduled to call in. He should be joining in a shortly. We also have Georgia State Rep uh, Paulette Rakestraw and uh, also Georgia member of the Electoral College Rachel Little who has been um, enduring a little bit of a deluge of her own with a, uh, a mountainous um, a number of emails and phone calls and harassing uh, other forms of contact uh, imploring her to not vote for Donald J. Trump. So that should be a pretty interesting segment there. She's been running kind of a, an online diary about all of the uh, excitement that she's been going through, and I believe she's at up to 38,000 emails and counting. So excited to see what uh, what kind of feedback she has. But uh, wanted to welcome Paulette Rakestraw to the show. Paulette, I know you're on the other line. You're calling in from D.C. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We uh, look forward to speaking to you about some Georgia-based issues, but uh, you're also working with a, uh, a compact right now about a balanced budget amendment. So could you give us a little bit yeah. of history on that and kind of uh, engage our listeners and tell us what you're, what you're working towards in D.C.? Yeah, so um, the Georgia is the lead state in this initiative, and we passed um, a compact bill to amend the U.S. Constitution in a safe way um, with a balanced budget amendment. So this would be the first ever state-initiated amendment to the Constitution. And what we've done is we've used a compact vehicle to safeguard it against a runaway convention. And so we have been in Washington working on getting a congressional resolution passed that works in tandem with the compact that we're getting passed in the states. And we have four states on board, um, Georgia, Alaska, Mississippi, and North Dakota. And the first three states formed a commission, and uh, Governor Deal appointed me to this commission, and I'm the commission chair. And um, we are working in Washington to get the congressional resolution passed. And we have um, all the Republican members of the lead states except for two in Georgia. So if you guys would reach out to your congressman, um, Congressman Price and Congressman Collins, neither one have signed on to this um, congressional resolution, which is really disappointing since we're the lead state. And all the other states have their entire Republican delegation signed on. And, you know, with our state passing this and the governor signing it, our congressional members should be signing on. And we've also gotten a little bit of pushback from um, Senator Isaacson, which is pretty disappointing. So if you guys can reach out to them and say, you know, get on board with this. So we're trying to do the push to get this done during the lame duck session. And the reason we were doing this with um, Steve Moore is he is our national spokesperson. And our conversations with him, he said that, you know, Trump does like this and is on board with this initiative. So... Um, we're trying to get something passed again during these last couple weeks of session, but if not, we're going to have to renew the effort and 
start working on it again in the next um, in the next yeah. Congress that's I guess, coming in. I guess my question is: Do we expect? Uh, does this is this something that would have to be signed by the, uh, President Obama? Because I, I don't see that no. happening. Okay. No, this is this uh, path that the states have does not require presidential presentment. So what we need is a simple majority of Congress to agree to this congressional piece. And basically all it says is nothing happens, but when the requisite number of states join the compact, and which in our case it's 38, it's 34 to call a convention, 38 to ratify it, but because we have streamlined and collapsed all the steps in the process in the two overarching pieces of legislation, the congressional piece and the compact in the states, we said we would go ahead and get 38 states on board, but nothing happens until those 38 states join, and then it triggers a 24-hour convention to ratify the amendment that's put forth in the compact, up or down vote, no modifications, and, and so it triggers all of the steps. So we wanted to go ahead and get the congressional piece done so that when we work in the states, you know, they're clear that, you know, once enough states join that, you know, this process is automatically triggered and, and we move to, to moving this balanced budget amendment forward very quickly. Gotcha. So now, when you say it's a 24-hour convention, that's not 24-hour notice, right? No, 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 okay. no. Okay. no it's, um, they have, <laughs> I was like, that like, sounds like a really tough, cho- tough thing to organize in 24 hours. Yeah, no, they hours. have 45 to 60 <laughs> days to get to the convention, but once the convention convenes, and Governor Deal will chair the convention, being the lead state and governor that signed this. Wow. Um, once they gavel in at the convention, it's 24 hours in duration to ratify this amendment that's being put forward, and it's a very well-done amendment, um, and so we need three-fourths of the states on board to get this done because we know there are congressional pro- proposals for balanced budget amendments, and some have loopholes that let them get around the rules. Ours is not, but they can't get the two-thirds that they need to get those passed. So this is an endeavor by the states to get to get it done so that, you know, when we have, you know, fiscal irresponsibility, there's some limit to the, you know, the debt ceiling, and, and that's the hard stop. They can't just continue to increase the debt ceiling like they've been doing. Right, because, you know, a nation that's $20 trillion in debt, I would say, is not very strong fiscally, and, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to start paying that down until we actually balance a budget, right? Right, and so ours actually balances the budget, you know, it incents spending cuts first, tax increases last, and it, it paves the way for us to move toward a fairer, flatter tax model um, in the way the legislation has been drafted. Again, it's very well done, but, um, you know, it, in, it incents them to do the spending cuts first, but if they don't and they're not fiscally responsible, then there are some teeth in the bill to force, you know, Congress to get serious about, you know, cutting spending, you know, doing some innovative tax things to change the you know, tax structure and, and um, you know, start to get responsible and not just, you know, continue to raise the debt ceiling. Right. Well, one so of the, the things... problem we have in Washington is structural. Mm-hmm. You get the debtor able to raise their own debt limit. It's 
like giving you a credit card and saying, oh, well, don't worry about the limit on it. You can just keep, you know, raising your own limit. And that's basically what we have going on in Washington. Right. And the argument we always see is every time it comes up is, oh, well, we've already spent this money. It would be irresponsible mm-hmm. for us to not pay our debt. So really the time to talk about the debt ceiling and curbing spending is not when you have to raise it. It's, it's the year before, right? Right, yeah, before you get to that hard stop and it becomes a crisis is the time to to deal with it. But, you know, there is a there is a provision in there that basically, you know, say they're not responsible and, you know, they, they run into some kind of crisis and they right. have a reason that they feel like they need to raise the debt ceiling. Instead of giving them the latitude and the power to do that, it basically says they have to go back and get a simple majority of the states right. to agree to an increase in the debt ceiling. So the states become like the board of directors for what's going on in Washington. And it gives them, they have to make a good, valid case back to the states, get enough to agree. And so it, it brings some sort of oversight and kind of rebalances the, the power of, that we lost, you know, to Washington. Because right now the feds are running all over the states. And so it kind of brings back some states' rights and gives them a seat at the table that we've lost in, in the in the balance of power and the way the you know the founders um, you know set everything up. So it really gives us um, you know a voice again and and the ability to push back on what's going on in the federal government. Well, one of the things that frustrates me, I saw today, um, Congress is ready to use Obamacare savings for medical innovation bill. That's a headline from uh, Jamie Dupree today. Mm-hmm. So that's very frustrating that, we, you know, any savings that they say they have are these phantom savings that they say will manifest in 10 years through uh, spending cuts. It never happens, mm-hmm. and our, our debt and deficit continue to come back up. Steve had just uh, messaged in. He should be... Uh, joining us very quickly if he's not already in okay so right hopefully it's uh it's gonna work out for us to do the uh the conference call today it's a little uh different than our normal protocol to get uh, more than one person on the line but uh yeah like i said this you know when you're looking at it from my perspective right now the interest rates are so low that our our debt service is you know it's quickly approaching what the uh defense spending is and and is in line to surpass that very quickly, and this is with rates historically low. Once they normalize, that uh, interest that we're paying on the debt could double or triple, which would really put us in a fiscal bind. Is that one of the uh, facets that you're looking at as well, Paulette? Um, yeah. So we don't. We basically, you know, set up a structure where where they are able to, you know, work within their own rules. They just have to live within that structure. But, yeah, we have a serious problem coming down the line when interest interest rates increase and we start paying a trillion dollars a year toward debt service rather than paying down the debt. That's the situation that we're about to be faced with. Yeah, and George has been... it's not going to be an easy one to solve. And, you know, in one of our meetings up here in Washington, you know, we had someone tell us that, you know, they don't know that, you know, there's going to be a balanced budget, you know, so there's not going to be a budget put forward that balances the budget within the next 10 years, which is concerning and problematic. However, they have been working on a lot of um, budget reform pieces and the way things operate up here because it's pretty dysfunctional. So um, Congressman Price has actually been heading that up, and Senator Perdue on the Senate side has been 
working on a lot of budget reform pieces, but as a part of that package, they need a balanced budget amendment that that continues to give them a hard stop and not just the pieces that they put together. So the, the two need to work together. All right. Well, cool. I'm having a little bit of trouble getting the uh, access code for Steve correctly. He says the, the number isn't working. Um, so anyway, we'll try to sort out this little technical difficulty. Uh, so anyway, with your, um, with your endeavor, you've got four states already on board. What's the next uh, step for you guys to try to get? Well, um, you know, we have different states that we're working in, and we wanted to get the congressional piece um, worked out because, you know, one of the issues that we have faced is there's a couple of other Article 5 movements that want to have an open convention, and they're very well-funded, and they tend to work against us when we go into these different states or we get associated with them, and, and people don't stop and take the time to understand why we're different, why we're a safe, streamlined, innovative approach to get this piece of legislation done without opening up the Constitution for rewriting. So there's concern about a runaway convention um, so, you know, one of our challenges has been fundraising to fund our endeavor, and when you're working against organizations that are very well-funded, it's kind of hard to get your message out. Um, but the people that actually have sat down and looked at this, and, and you know, it's got a lot of um, experts and a lot of um, people, you know, like George Will and Judge Napolitano mm-hmm. and um, Stephen Moore and, you know, a lot of fiscally responsible people that have looked at this and really like it and have endorsed our approach. So. Gotcha. You know, our challenge now is just to get the message out and, again, to get people to call, um, you know, their congressmen, specifically Congressman Price, Congressman Collins, and Senator Isaacson, and say, you know, yes, we need this. Get it done. You know, your states and your governor have asked you to get this done and have appointed a commissioner to work on this. So, you know, for you to just say, no, I'm not going to do it is not, you know, um, it's not acceptable to me, right. um, and it shouldn't be acceptable to the, the American people that they go, oh, no, we're just not going to do it because, you know, whatever yep. reason we- they... We need, to, we need to get serious about it. Let's take our first break here. We'll try to get Steve on the line during the uh, the intermission here, and uh, we'll see you back on the other side of the break in a couple minutes. You're listening to Greg's List. Thanks. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Forty-five years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. Joining us now is the uh, famous economist, Steve Moore. Steve, welcome to Greg's List. How are you doing today? Uh, great to be with you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you calling in. Got a couple of questions. I know we've got uh, a brief time here, but uh, you've been uh, a nationally renowned economist for some time, uh, lots of education and degrees. You started the Club for Growth. Uh, you woke up on the, on November 9th, and what were your first thoughts about the direction of the U.S. economy? Well, I, I think my investors and consumers, we've uh, seen a uh, real bullish outlook, uh, uh, and a new optimism by the boom in the Yeah, we we have a little bit of a bad connection. Is there? Uh, I don't know if there's a bad reception where you're calling from, but uh, we missed a little bit of that, Steve. Uh, can you hear me better now? Yes, that's much better. Okay. Over. Yeah, just uh, when you woke up on November 9th, you probably had a much more bullish outlook about the U.S. economy. Am I right? You better believe it. I mean, I, I really, uh, with so many Americans, I felt that the uh, what was happening was that uh, things were going to get better and that we were going to see a better uh, uh, you know, uh, increases in uh, jobs and bullish and I remain bullish. I think we're, this is a new beginning for America, a potential renaissance if we get the policies right. Yep. So mortgage rates and other interest rates are rising. What kind of impact will that have on the market or do we need this normalization in order to get back to a, 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 a typical American uh, recovery? Well, I think the reason that the rates are rising right now is because we're seeing uh, more uh, bullishness and I think people are more willing to invest now and so what's happening is that the uh, their willingness to invest in demand on capital is rising, which re- increases the real interest rate. And so this is one of those occasions when a rise in interest rate of uh, more optimism in the economy and, and uh, the coming investment boom in this country. 
Yeah, well, it's certainly one that uh, we're looking out for in in the in the real estate business. Interest rates really don't impact a home buyer until they're in excess of five or six percent. That's what economists have said. So I feel like uh, we're in pretty good shape. The inventories are, are low in the real estate market. We've got this health care dilemma. Tom Price is actually we're in the, his congressional district right now here in Sandy Springs, Georgia. He's been named to uh, head up health and human services. I've been thinking about some strategy for uh, how to. I guess, approach this Obamacare. And, and basically what I would do day one of the Trump administration is issue a waiver to everybody in the country from the Obamacare individual mandate. And then I'd ask Congress to refund the penalty that had been paid by the 7 million households. That would only cost about $1.3 billion. And I think strategically that would uh, really reinforce the idea that it was a bad law and that any effort that we've got going forward is going to be helping the 6 or 7 million households that have to pay that what do you think about that kind of approach that's uh you know that's i think we we need to uh as much of obamacare as we can right away because it's floating costs but i like your idea of the individual mandate um look we've got to make insurance cheaper and and and, uh more efficient for people so that they you know there's no reason you couldn't get a good health plan for half the cost of obamacare uh in this country we believe we can do that by getting rid of mandates, regulations, and uh, letting people compete, letting insurance companies compete. Now, when you have more competition in any industry, what happens to prices? They fall. Yep, and that's one of the uh, the things that we've been looking forward to is the ability to uh, buy and sell across state lines. Um, I've, I have Paulette on as well, and we've been talking about this uh, balanced budget amendment. Do you think a President yep. Trump would support that effort? Oh, I think he would. I think he feels like the debt is a huge problem in this country, and we've got to get the debt down by two things, by getting the economic growth rate up so we produce more jobs and more revenues for the government. And number two, we have to start getting serious about cutting spending, and there's so much waste in the budget. I was just looking at a new report that came out by the the auditors of the federal uh, budget, and they find that there's $150 billion, billion, not million, billion dollars a year on payments and Social Security and Medicare food stamps, earned income tax credit. Why is it that we tolerate those kinds of waste and fraud? Uh, there's no reason we can't cut those dramatically and uh, and use that money to balance the budget and hopefully start to retire some of the debt. Yeah, I mean, if the U.S. was a was the U.S. economy, the U.S. government, if it was a, a publicly traded corporation, uh, I mean, you'd have to look at the fundamentals as sell, 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 right? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. You know, and... Uh, you know, I think there's going to be other priorities, too. I mean, look, we can raise a lot of revenues by leasing um, lands and let that be used. Uh, you know, we can produce jobs by producing our own. We can raise revenue for the government, so that would be a huge plus for the economy. Uh, uh, we can start cutting every age 5 or 10%. Uh, that will save billions of dollars. There's so many ways, and the American people how much waste there is in the federal budget. Right. One of the things I'm excited about is um, some of Trump's cabinet picks really are going against the grain. A lot of folks are complaining that Dr. Carson doesn't have uh, experience in, in housing and urban development. And my argument is, well, we've hired experienced bureaucrats for a long time, and how far has it gotten us? What do you think <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of Trump's cabinet? Really, you know, what? When they say he's not experienced, experienced compared to who? I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. our urban priorities for the last... 40 years run our cities. I love the fact that uh, 
you've got a you know a doctor uh, who is going to come in and who's who's you know who escaped from the gas. One of our Ben Carson is one of our great surgeons in this country, and we're going to try different things. We're going to give school choice, so you, uh, the kids can go to better schools. We're going to bring economic development. We're going to get safety on the streets, uh, and and all of these things I think will have a profoundly positive impact on our inner cities, which are a shame. It's a shame what's happened. I'm from Chicago. When you see you know three thousand shootings a year in Chicago, and you got to do something about that, and we got to restore some law and order. We got to get the schools uh, performing. And we've got to bring economic development to these areas. And, and the people who will benefit the most, of course, will be minority blacks and Hispanics and yep. uh, Asians and other, uh, you know, uh, groups that are maybe poor, but they shouldn't have to live in conditions that look like Beirut. We all know that capitalism lifts all boats, not just the yachts. Uh, here's a question for you. The... Um uh, the, yesterday you were talking on uh, Cavuto's show about um, Donald Trump and his his uh, his work with the car- with Carrier in Indianapolis to keep him here. But you said, "Hey, that was a good example to do." But you felt, and I'll use your word, queasy about some of the uh, other companies he was talking about uh, helping or threatening or whatever. Can you explain a little bit about that? Where maybe we don't need to uh, micromanage every company, but the Carrier was a good kind of example to set for the Trump administration. Well, look, we're going to bring companies states that have left, and we're going to do it by cutting taxes. We're going to go from having the highest to one of the lowest. We're going to get regulations on the backs of our businesses. We're going to repeal Obamacare with expense. And a competitive place to do business again. You know, for 10 years now, competitiveness has never been taken seriously, and that's one of the reasons I think we are losing so many jobs to foreigners, whether it's India or China or Mexico, and you start taking, uh, cutting the cost here, companies stampeding to come back into the country, and you're talking about jobs in all over the country, in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, California, uh, Maine, and Vermont. We can, we can re-industrialize America with the right set of policies. I agree totally with people who say, all oh, these jobs have been lost forever. I don't believe that. I think they can come back. Right. What do you think about uh, the calling for the government to cancel a deal with uh, Air Force One or Boeing for the development of a new uh, Air Force One or Trump Force One, as we'll probably rename it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to. I don't know all the details of mm-hmm. that, uh, of, of what uh, Mr. Trump is talking about. Study it a little but I, look, I don't want the government to be bullying companies and intimidating country, uh, companies. I want uh, I want to use the carrot of better policy the stick of, uh, of federal intimidation. Exactly. Good old-fashioned Austrian economics. Final question. Steve Moore calling in from, uh, you're in D.C. right now, right? I am. Calling in from D.C. with the Heritage Organization, and uh, I've, I've posted his uh, resume. Final question. What is the economic outlook for the Jillery 2016 recount effort? I'm sorry. The economic outlook for what? The uh, Jillery recount. It's kind of a joke question. You know, they're, uh, Jill Stein and Hillary Clinton are pulling uh, the strings. Yeah, I, just, I, I was just wondering you know, your professional opinion of the economics of that. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think um, you know, Donald Trump is going to be the next president. I, I give you that prediction with 99.999%. Uh, and, you know, big change is fine. Big changes, big changes in the way we regulate, the way we tax, the way we balance our budgets, the way we deal with health care. Um, you know, it's about time because I think Americans are fed up with a Washington that is self-serving and completely um, out of control in terms of its expenditures uh, that is costing America 
securely in terms of jobs and incomes. And if, if Trump does the things that he promised, I think we're going to see one of the great economic booms in this country's history. And I look forward to uh, seeing that day and seeing uh, Trump. <laughs> I think everybody does. <laughs> Trump went in in 2020. Steve Moore Heritage Organization, we really appreciate your time today, and I uh, hope we can meet up in uh, in January. I'm going to be driving up to D.C. for the inauguration, so maybe we can grab a beer. Uh, looking forward to seeing you. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, celebratory mood. Exactly. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Steve Moore. And uh, we'll be back with uh, our next guest, uh, Rachel Little, who has just uh, called in. We'll be talking about the Electoral College, which uh, is a lot of folks like to, uh, on the left, complain that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. And she won it by running up the score in um, liberal bastions like New York and California while ignoring the Midwest. And that is what really pushed uh, Donald J. Trump over the edge, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We've had a hell of a show already with uh, Paulette Rakestraw calling in, talking about the balanced budget amendment. Then uh, nationally renowned economist Steve Moore joined us to talk some uh, future prognostications about the uh, Trump presidency and economic outlook, and also his opinion on the uh, Jillery 2016 recount effort, which I don't think is going very well. In fact, there's a lot of things that have a much better return turn on investment than that. Uh, right now, we've got Rachel Little on the line with us, and Rachel's the uh, District 4 uh, chairman in Georgia and also an elector, one of the 16 Georgians that'll be uh, casting a ballot in the Electoral College. Uh, Rachel, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? Hopefully we have her anyway. Hey, Rachel, it's Greg. Are you able to hear us now? 
Hey, Greg. Hey, hey, I just uh, introduced you and uh, wanted to welcome you to the show and uh, also try to give you a little bit of shelter from the deluge of emails and other harassing forms of contact that you've been getting. <laughs> yeah, it has been um, it, it just since November 16th when the emails started coming in, and um, that day it was, you know, a couple dozen and uh, sort of increased, and uh, it just... I cannot wait for December nineteenth to get here. <laughs> so it's uh, so you were one of the sixteen electors that were uh, selected by the Georgia Republican Party. I guess it was a state committee, and that was a meeting back in April. Is that is that kind of how that happened? It, exactly right. The, um, the chairman um, had a list of, of people that he nominated, and um, the state executive committee um, voted on the entire slate. So. Um, We've all been sort of sitting since April waiting to find out who um, we would then be voting for in December. Yeah. Now, how did, um, I guess, how did your names get out there? Because uh, it's, I guess, the Electoral College, normally it's kind of, uh, we've never really seen this level of harassment after elections. I mean, I guess technology has a little bit to do with that, where it's so easy to contact people on Facebook or get people's email addresses. So it's it's hard to compare an apples to apples on it. But, uh, you know, you, so it was about a week after the election. The, the left is apoplectic. Is That's a word, that's a word that me and you have both used um, a lot. Uh, so it starts, so this little trickle of uh, email starts coming in were you wondering like what the hell was going on or or how you well exactly i mean <laughs> you know so the first thing you mentioned like how do they get this information well it's um in all states it's public information um georgia well in some states when you go and vote you know you see the candidate's name and then you'll see the list of electors underneath and so um the people in those states are probably a little more um Understanding that they're not actually voting for the candidate, that they are voting for a slate of electors. Um, in Georgia, it doesn't work that way. You, the only name you see on the ballot is the candidate and the vice presidential candidate. Um, however, if you go to the Secretary of State's website, you will see the list of the Republican, the Democrat, and there were even some independent electors that were chosen this year. Um, because we've all had to qualify to be on the ballot, um, pay a fee, all of our information is public, just like it is for any other candidate who qualifies to be on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so many, many organizations, um, you know, quickly did some data mining and sent um, all of this information out, in some cases with a standard form letter that they said, hey, here's something you can use, and many of them have used pretty much the same form letter. Um, others are a little bit more creative, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and what they try to, to tell us, but... It started out initially, and I thought, well, it's, it's really going to be nothing. And it just has, um, through the Thanksgiving holiday, it, the numbers backed off. But um, I think that you had seen this yesterday in, in a 24-hour period. It broke all records, and I got 10,000 emails um, from about 11 o'clock last night until about 8 o'clock the night before. That's so, crazy. I think they should start charging 10 cents for uh, spam <laughs> emails. You know, that, that will slow this down. Or, or you get to keep like half, like a nickel right? from every email. Would that, that would that would help it uh, work out a little it, bit in your favor, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic, but it's, um, you know, it has certainly caused um, my personal email to be locked up. Um, you know, if anyone needs me for anything. Lock her up. Yeah. Lock her up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, it's, uh, it's, what has been? What's been some? Of, you said a lot of people are using form letters, but you also use the word uh, creative. Has, has any? Have you had any hate emails or threats or anything like that? 
Well, um, understandably, when you're getting thousands at a time, um, up until yesterday, it was averaging about 3,000 a day. <laughs> um, I'm not reading them all, so I'll, I just sort of scan through maybe the first couple pages and yeah. look for subject lines that may be a little bit different. Um, I don't know what the one group is that has the same email that the subject line is always unlike the voice my concerns. And I and it's a, my name is whatever from some state, and, you know, please vote for Hillary. Um, <laughs> I had somebody yesterday ask me to vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, I, I kind of go through and look for subject lines that look a little unusual. Um, I have had some that are clearly people who are... Um, um, uh, Perhaps part of a tenfold brigade, uh, a woman who told me, who said that she was, um, she's a federal whistleblower and, and went through a whole bunch of stuff on why that was important and why we should, we should care. Um, and she called us, all of the electors, and this is, a, I say all of us because this happens to be a group email that many of them do. They just send out one to all of us. Um, used a lot of, uh, uh, words to describe us that are the same sorts of words that they, just, they used to describe the president-elect. Um, and somewhere towards the end suggested that if we voted for him, um, she used the word gobbles and goat in the same sentence. Oh, my God. Um, I, I was a little put off by that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I got to say, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, all of these emails telling you what to do. We, we're, as conservatives, we don't really like being told what to do. So I would, right. uh, I would advise the left wing to uh, take that into consideration. I was a little disturbed. I saw that we finally have a faithless Republican elector, somebody that was a little self-aggrandizing today from Texas. But he's not voting for Hillary. He's going to vote for John Kasich. It was a guy he wrote a lengthy op-ed, which was uh, really a little self-righteous for me, and in my opinion, he's disenfranchising the state of Texas, but uh, it doesn't look like their uh, goals are having any impact, but I do think that this this story may cause even more emails to be sent your way. Have you been privy to, to that one that came out, uh, I guess, in the past 24 hours? Um, I did see it um, this morning as I was looking for some stuff, but, um, you know, there's... I, I think he may be the same Texas elector who a few weeks ago um, said that he was going to be resigning his position because he could not vote for, for um, Trump. Yeah. Um, and so if it is, this is, it's nothing new. It's just a recirculation. Um, you know, but even if one or two people, mm-hmm. um, you know, decides to withdraw or vote in a different way, he has such a comfortable lead in the electoral numbers um, that it's not going to make a difference. Um I did have, I I saw, I think last week, someone from the state of Washington or Oregon won, um, who claimed to be one of the youngest electors um, in the country, and suggested that he would not be voting for Mr. Trump. And I can't remember which state it is, but it's a state that went for um, Secretary Clinton. So he's not going to have a chance to not vote for Trump anyway. So um, that's what happens with people who don't understand um, the process and even likely why they are electors in the first place. Well, I will tell you that this uh, this whole thing has been a great civics lesson for many people in this country, right? right. Why, You know, you run up the score in California and New York, and why don't we just let those two states pick our president? I mean, that's the argument, basically, people that want to get rid of the Electoral College. And, and, you know, obviously there's been a national popular vote move, and I think that this... <laughs> this outcome obviously shows why it's important uh, that we have the Electoral College where, you know, Trump won by about 22,000 in uh, Wisconsin, 10 to 12,000 in Michigan. 
narrow wins, but 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 substantial wins. I mean, those things aren't certainly not going to be turned over by the recount. And then in Pennsylvania, by sixty-eight thousand votes. And then he lost heavily in California and New York. So, you know, you really have to ask who should be deciding the outcome of the president. Should we just have two or three big states, or should it be a broad swath? And I, I think the answer is pretty clear. What are, what are, what are your thoughts? Well, and that's certainly, and, and I will say that I, uh, I haven't done a search, but just anecdotally, as I look through these, um, you know, the ones where I can quickly identify just in a preview where the emails are coming from. And, and by the way, I've gotten probably a hundred snail mail letters as well, and people put their return addresses on them. And the vast majority, I would venture to say even 90%, um, of the communications have been from people in the state of New York and the state of, of California, and then some um, more significantly blue states in the Northeast. Occasionally, I will see one that I can identify from, you know, a traditionally red state, and, and even maybe a handful of people from Georgia that have emailed me. Um, so for sure, these are people in those two states who believe um, that they should get to make the decisions because it is the majority of the people um, that live in the upright cities. Um, and it is an argument um, for why the, the popular vote, um, why we can't consider that, because it, it will get to the point that the two coasts decide our president and every, the rest of us who live anywhere in between just won't matter. Yeah, and that and that's just unacceptable because Georgia is actually the eighth biggest uh, population state. I imagine some of the um, the numbers will change a little bit after the next census. But uh, so December nineteenth, uh, all the sixteen Georgians will go and cast your vote. Then after that, uh, are you going to change your email? <laughs> <laughs> you know, hopefully um, this will see the end of it. I received a number of emails back during the convention cycle. I think you will recall from some people who were. Um, you know, wanting to, to be sure that their candidate had a voice at the national convention. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular email address is set up just for political. It's not my. Um, you would never give your work personal. your work email, right? <laughs> I don't give work, and I don't give my personal Gmail account yeah. out um, for anything. So, um, you know, if it if it doesn't slow down, or if people decide they want to uh, continue to play the game, I may have to reconsider. But um, it certainly has been interesting. I uh, recognize their right to, um, you know, to petition and. Mm-hmm. Um, and to want their voice to be heard. Um, I just hope that they understand that it is my right and my duty, as they have continued to point out. Um, it is my duty as an elector to consider um, all of the choices and to make the decision that I feel is the best for the country. Um, and I can promise them that I will consider that when I go and cast my vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> All of it has been considered. We thank you for your 40,000 emails. And I'm really going to see if we can get some kind of legislation that will charge for spam emails. Maybe just a penny. But uh, at that rate, at least if your inbox is getting filled up, you get a little bit of money. It's almost like banner ad clicks. Rachel Little, I appreciate you calling in. And obviously me and you, we – um, you know, we're, we're very happy for Donald Trump, but for you, I mean, you had been uh, on the Ted Cruz team, so you were, right. you know, you're certainly somebody that has considered other candidates, and uh, Hillary Clinton was at the absolute bottom of that list, I am sure. And I have always been never <laughs> Hillary, no matter how we had to get there. So uh, yeah, well, we I'm excited about the, are you going up to D.C. for the inauguration? I don't think so. It is, um, I'm not huge into crowds and Clearly, this is going to be a crowd. Um, yeah. So I may be uh, the fourth district may be doing something fine, 
on inauguration night instead of uh, for everyone who is coming yeah. back to watch it. Well, we're, we're, we're headed up there. I actually sent uh, Airbnb out, and uh, I got a reply yeah. back, and the lady said, um, you do know what's going on that weekend, and I was kind of coy. I was like, no, no, we're, I, I have no idea what's going on. Is there something important happening <laughs> So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna go up there, but actually, I think it's a great time to visit the museums because they're gonna be empty. Probably. <laughs> That's probably right. Just stay off the mall. Exactly. Well, Rachel, well, thank you for persevering through this. December nineteenth is coming, and then we'll be able to say three awesome words: former President Obama. Indeed. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me on. All right. Appreciate it. We'll see you in a couple minutes with uh, Paulette Rakestraw calling back in. We'll be talking about Georgia specifically. See you in a minute. Bye. Whether cruising the strip in a '57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism. We've had a, a really cool show today, and in fact, one guest had so much fun. She called back, Paulette Rakestraw, you're back on the air. And, you know, we're going to pivot a little bit. We're going to pivot to the, the state of Georgia. We were able to talk. You gave a really good uh, explanation of the balanced budget amendment and the process that you're going through and, and, and Governor Deal's appointment. And really, Georgia taking the lead in that. I, I am so proud of our state for, uh, you know, proving that Republican policies do work and that uh, I hate the term, well I don't really hate it compassionate conservatism where we're common sense or pragmatists but we're putting in in policies that are you know creating the best environment for business as recognized four years in a row now by Site Selection Magazine we're taking leadership on issues that that really are going to impact me and you Paulette but also our future generations and it's really me and your generation you know the kind of the 35 to 45 or, or we never ask a woman her exact age but me and you are pretty much in that same, you know, childs of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it's up to us to make the hard decisions about are we going to continue to pay Social Security so our, our parents and grandparents continue to get that, but we realize that we're not going to get it. And uh, I'm proud of you for the work you're doing up in Washington. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, um, you know, want to do what we can to save America because, you know, we've, we've let this go on and on and on for far too long, and someone's got to rein it in, so... Um, you know, we're stepping forward with a bold proposal, and, you know, it, it takes everyone's involvement, though, and engagement to, you know, again, to get in touch with their um, congressmen and senators and, you know, make sure they know that, you know, you know this is on the horizon and it's important to sign on and, and get this done and start fixing the structural issues in Washington that make it so dysfunctional. 
Yep. Well, and and that's one of the good things about you know Donald Trump is he is coming in some of his cabinet positions. He's gone with some experienced folks and others. He is really shaking things up. So I look forward to that. So let's talk about Georgia. The uh, the biennial conference is going on right now in Athens, a little town called Athens that has, happens to be home of the the best university in the history of the world, my alma mater, University of Georgia. So a lot of the uh, legislators are there. I'm not sure exactly how that works. I'm assuming that uh, there are probably little events that are put on by lobbyists and and it's kind of a information session and hopefully people get some real information and it's not just a bunch of propaganda but you're up in dc uh we're looking at um you know some potential bills in georgia that are uh you know going to be up for vote what are some of the ones on your radar and some things that you may be working on this next session well um yeah i was at the biennial um Yes, until late yesterday afternoon, so I'm missing what's going on today. But, you know, they're talking about things like education policy and, and you know, the budget and, you know, the main issues that we tend to deal with every session, you know, um, how to, you know, help improve um, economic development in mm-hmm. Georgia. And um, one of the big bills that is coming up is the gambling bill. So I'm having conversations and starting to talk to people and I'm, and I'm trying to reorient um, you know if we're going to do gambling in Georgia what we use it for because you know in in my view Georgia is uniquely positioned to do something really innovative and groundbreaking and solve a, an epidemic that we have um, because we don't have gambling and and you know what I want to do is is you know the conversations right now are you know let's take it and fund hope well we've already done that and and you know we have funded hope and you know what we have have done is you know we have a, a problem with the colleges and universities that continue to just increase their prices and you know and I think until we fix that issue you know throwing more money to hope is just going to expand you know the opportunities for the colleges to continue raising their rates and their tuition. But what I want to do is something um, unique and groundbreaking that would touch most. Um, individuals and families in our state because you can just about touch anybody that's been afflicted by this issue and that is to do something really innovative and streamlined and effective to treat mental health and addiction in our state and you know the federal government has has come down with some mandates and they made us shut down all of our mental institutions and um, and you know it's it's just really sad because you know there's so many people that are that are dealing with a loved one, an aunt, an uncle, a child, a spouse, you know, a parent that is affected by addiction, and most of it's being driven by mental health. And I wish we wouldn't call it mental health because it's actually it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's mental. You know, we've got to start treating these people as holistic people. And what we're doing now with this revolving door, you know, if you have insurance, they'll stick you in the hospital for, you know, a couple weeks, and then they turn you back into your environment, or you have to get into our criminal justice system to get, you know, to get away from, you know, the drugs and Mm -hmm. and somewhere where you're not able to use. And, you know, we've got a lot of broken, hurting people running around, and, and it's the brokenness that needs to be healed because when you start to heal people you heal their addiction you heal their families you start healing the people that are homeless and the veterans 
And the reason I want to do gambling, you know, gambling, there's, there are some people that have an addiction to gambling. Well, addictions come out whether it's in alcohol, if it's in drugs, whether it's in gambling. But when we have the funding and the resources to treat these people effectively, and it takes long-term treatment, which most people can't afford. But when you can take these people and you can, you know, do a program that lasts anywhere from, you know, some of these programs that are effective are six months long, 12 months long, instead of doing the revolving door in and out of jail or Mm -hmm. in and out of the hospital where they relapse and they go straight back because you never really healed what was going on inside, or you take them and you say, oh, here's a pill, but don't do drugs, you know, the system we have is really, really messed up in the way we go about it. And there's a book that I would encourage anybody that's interested in this issue to read. It's called Chasing the Scream, and it's about the war on drugs and how it hasn't worked and what other countries are doing that are actually solving the problem. Very eye-opening. Um, it was a. It, it goes into the history of the war on drugs, and it's it's just such a great read. And I've I've been recommending it to other legislators and, you know, to our governor and to people in leadership in our state to get them to, to embrace a new paradigm in, in what we've done that hasn't worked and look for new innovative solutions. But that's where we come to gambling. So if we had the revenue coming in from gambling, which I view as a voluntary tax, and we could set up. Um, an organization kind of like that was set up with Hope where they can direct that funding and start doing long-term treatment programs because we have a lot of nonprofits out there that are so very effective because they're doing long-term treatment. Mm -hmm. But if we could model more of that and what's working and bring in some of the counseling and other resources in tandem with that, we could heal so many people, which is going to heal so many families, and then it's going to start to, you know, we could start to heal the people that are homeless because they've got addiction and mental health issues or, you know, the veterans that, you know, are suffering from PTSD and give them a path to really get effective treatment that's going to get them back on a productive place in life. You know, the opposite of addiction right. is not sobriety, it's connection. And what these other countries are doing are, are healing these people so they can connect <clears throat> once again. And, and be productive and, and live happy, productive lives instead of being a drain where they're in our jails, you know, our defect systems clogged up because you've got parents that aren't taking care of their children because of their addiction issues. And, and so I really want to look at, at, at a different approach to solving this problem in our state. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the work that we've, again, Republicans leading the way on criminal justice reform. I was at the yeah. Republican National Convention in Cleveland, and uh, I got to take off my delegate badge and put on my press pass, and I was uh, able to interview uh, Governor Bevin from Kentucky, Governor Fallon from Oklahoma, and Governor Deal uh, from Georgia about their programs that have uh, really Really cut recidivism and looked at solving the problem, not just putting a band-aid on criminal justice. And I actually think your uh, endeavor, your missive with um, you know legalizing gambling, I, I, I think horse gambling, the equine gambling, should be legalized immediately. That uh, Harry Geisinger had been a champion of that. Uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but uh, that that bill needs to be separate from you know the the MGM casinos that want to come in. And I, I think they're two separate issues. Uh, 
Uh, I don't want to get you off track with the horse uh, racing one. I just want to throw out my own personal uh, opinion on that. But so the gambler, the the companies that want to come in, the casinos, they they basically want to have a limited ability to uh, put up, um, you know, some of their uh, some of their gambling sites. I know Savannah has a has an island almost that would be perfect for one, and obviously underground in Atlanta would be good. Although it looked like um, the masquerade just moved into underground Atlanta, so I'm not sure. <laughs> That's going to work. Yeah, I would literally creative loathing just put that out yesterday. So maybe you can go listen to some weird bands and then gamble. (laughs) I mean, you could just have a whole weekend of of, uh, sin in Atlanta. But uh, just real quick. Yeah, I think think they want a limited license. They want to do like one and a half licenses. I don't know what the half is. But, (laughs) um, you know, I think they, they don't want, you know, like tons of casinos, you know, to do like what Atlantic City did. I think Mm -hmm. they want to limit and just have something for people to do when they come into Atlanta, yep. you know, because world's, you know, bu- world's Aquarium, busiest airport, there's not a whole lot yeah. for tourists to do. College football, Atlanta. college football hall of fame. Uh, yeah. you know, th- I mean, yes, we could certainly have room with the world's busiest airport to come in and mm-hmm. leverage some of that tourist money. Yeah. And then, and then if we can take it and do something again, if people push back on gambling, it's because of the addictive piece of it. If we have a path to fund it where we, have some autonomy to do some really innovative long-term treatment things without the federal government telling us what we can and can't do because that's the situation we have right now whereas if we create this separate organization that's able to direct those dollars Mm -hmm. and do something revolutionary with people and start getting tremendous results and and we have done a lot with criminal justice reform and that is great but you know we need to start treating people before they get to our criminal justice system and we need, and, and the problem that, you know, we have with treating jails, you know, these, these people that are already broken and hurting, you know, they have a deep-rooted belief already that, you know, they're a piece of crap. And if you stick them in jail because they've done something stupid, again, that reinforces the belief that they're a piece of crap. And then they have a harder hole to climb out of because, you know, then they can't get a job. And then, they, right. you know, then they're really disconnected. It becomes a, self, yep. it becomes a, self, a self-fulfilling prophecy, I believe, yeah. is what they call that, where we, we, we put somebody in the hole. Then when they try to dig out of the hole, we, we demean them anymore. Paulette Rakestraw, thank you for calling in twice today. You're not the first guest that's done that. We've had that happen uh, a couple times. But a uh, wide range of topics we were able to discuss with you. I look forward to uh, working with you on this uh, missive, this next session. Anything I can do to help you? spread the word on this as I mentioned uh, in my email to you I'm a fan of uh, letting people do what they want with their own money and I consider casino gambling a form of entertainment we really appreciate you calling in today and uh, thank, thank you guys you. thank you guys for listening replay of the show will be on tonight at 6pm thank you Steve Moore and Rachel Little as well we'll see you next time on Greg's List this is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you